Man, I'll bet. Yeah, good job. Drop your phone. <laughs> <laughs> How long is it? I, I don't even know what number we're on, so it doesn't matter. We could say it's season two. Let's. Yeah, there you go. It's or, season two of the Easton Podcast. We could really throw some people for a loop and be like, episode 45, and they're going, hey, what happened yeah. to the other 15? We're the other 15, yeah. Hi, I'm George Techmichub with Steve the Big Cat Anderson, and we're back for another Easton Podcast, and Jay will figure out what number it is. Uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a break since our last podcast, uh, mostly due to the fact that uh, one or the other of us has been traveling. We've had a lot happening, actually. There has been a lot happening. There's been uh, all kinds of stuff happening. World Cup events, and uh, still, that's still ahead, the World Cup final. And yeah. uh, a little thing down in Rio. Yeah. And a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah, I feel like you've been busier around the office than I've seen you since I started working here. Yeah, that's, that's true. I have been busy. We've got new product stuff that I've been working on, so you know how that is. Well, we've got a uh, something we tried this morning, and that is uh, before we started recording the podcast, I just dropped a uh, quick note on Facebook and um, on the Easton Archery Target Facebook page, Easton Archery Target, because they couldn't come up with a stupider name. <laughs> we can change it. How about time. Easton Target Archery? I think that would probably be better. Well, let's give it a change. But who the heck's going to look for Easton Archery Target? I guess they're hoping the, the SEO just works out. I think we should fire the guy that – oh, never mind. We did. Yeah, we did. All right. So <laughs> so we did get some questions in the last uh, couple minutes, actually, and uh, that's kind of cool. And and one of these feeds right into what Steve just got back from, which is Rio. Uh, what are your thoughts on the venue? Watching the women's finals, it seems they were struggling with unpredictable wind, speed, and direction. I felt like that's what cost Kibo Bay her shot at the gold. Yeah, that question coming from Sterling Schrader. Thanks for the question. Um you know, I was there seven days, eight days before it started and watched everything. All I did was stand at the venue and and watch stuff, it seems. You know, we, we I was there with uh, Doug Denton. To work the equipment repair. Yeah. Uh, the, the World Archery provides an equipment repair Correct. booth at the uh, Olympic Games. And you hope that those are the most bored guys at the Games. Yeah, and we didn't, we didn't have a lot to do. And when we had situations, we were pretty well prepared. Uh, we got them taken care of. But so, yeah, I was there watching a lot of the shooting, um, especially practice and qualification. And Kibo Bay was getting a lot of treatment done from their physio. Her bow arm shoulder seems to have been pretty messed up. She and, is hurting for certain. Yeah, and if if you look at her, her shooting, it looks like she's kind of uh, tailoring her follow-through to protect that shoulder a little bit. Her her left arm is is not, not 100%. So... Um, I would actually say I'm surprised she got as far as she did. I think it was probably a struggle. She was shooting well, but I just don't know how you hold up under injury that long over that many arrows, and they shoot a lot. And yeah. I was there from about 8 to 7 p.m., 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., and the Koreans were usually there the whole time as well. So they were really putting in the work. There's no question that they work hard, but the problem is sooner or later something's got to give, and maybe, it seems, maybe something has given out on uh, Miss Key's uh, bow arm yeah, shoulder. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she calls it a career. You know, I, it, I hope it, not. I, I hope not, too. She's really, uh, you know. She's charismatic. Yes. She's good for the sport. Yeah, she's a she's a recognizable Very much Korean so. archer. Yeah. And, with a personality and yeah. and a great appearance and yep. just a tremendous accomplishment, you know she's very very um, 
I mean, she's very human. If you know what I'm trying to say without, you know, yes. trying to offend anybody here, she's she's not a machine, you right. know. Some shooters, not just Korean shooters, they, they are very monolithic, you know. You, you don't get to know them as a person. I don't think he's like that. And on the Korean team, it can be such a revolving door at times because the talent's so deep. So oh, yeah. to have her a part of this team for two Olympics. Consistently. Yeah, it, it just makes her that much more noticeable. Whereas, you know, you look at the men's team and it's a full turnover from one to the next. Maybe so. just a break is all she needs or yeah, well, who, who knows? knows. But, you know, the other thing is she's won the world championship. Mm-hmm. She's got an Olympic individual gold. Yep. She's got now an individual Olympic bronze. Two team golds. Two team golds. So she has accomplished as much as anybody in women's archery history. Yeah, what's she got to prove? Right. So whichever way she goes, if she does, if she does decide to retire, I'll be sad because we won't get to see her very much anymore. Maybe she'll become a coach. Yeah. Maybe she'll keep shooting. We don't know. Who knows? But uh, we'll, we will keep an eye on that because yeah. she's an important, uh, important asset to the sport. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think you would personally. I wouldn't say, oh, if she's got an injured shoulder, that's going to put her into retirement. I don't think that's what does it. I think, you know, that's a couple months rehab, and she'll probably be fine. But, you know, it might just be the end of that span. Just as you mentioned, she's knocked out most everything there is to win, and what, what more does she have to prove? She might just be ready to hang it up. Who it's going to come down to whether she's got the desire to keep working that hard. And, yes. and and the ability to stay on top in a super competitive environment. Right. Right. There's, and that's yeah. she's definitely got the mental ability. The question is physical right now. Yeah, it's a two two part thing. Uh Trent Sheath on our Facebook here has uh, asked the question During the Olympics, have there ever been times when an archer's equipment has been in breach of the rules? And does the Olympics come under WA rules or are there specific Olympic rules too? Okay, so just like at a world archery event, let me let me address the second part of the question first. Um, the Olympics are an IOC event, not a world archery event, but the IOC uses the governing body for the sport to run the event per se. Although, again, it's an IOC event, okay? So the, the differentiation here is, for example, at world archery events, Tom Dillon, Secretary General, he can make determinations right then and there about certain things and, and have certain things done a certain way. With the Olympic Games, it's IOC, and there's a little more complicated process. Yeah, Tom has to make sure he follows IOC protocol. Protocol, yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so, you know, from the standpoint of the rules and stuff, yeah, it's all pretty much the same. There's a few minor differences yeah. to accommodate the fact that it's the Olympic Games. Shooting rules are all the same other than... Yeah, 20 seconds to yeah. get your arrow off, all that, yeah. Obviously, they shoot each match individually as a, yeah as a that started in london yep uh, until london um you know not every dog got their moment in the sun you know yeah. at london was london was the first olympics where every single match took place individually on the field in front of the spectators and the, uh, you know in london that worked really well because we had a big crowd the whole time right yeah they had a the, the crowds in rio came and went a little bit depending on who was shooting? If there was a Brazilian about to shoot, the, the stands filled up. Oh yeah, and, uh, it looked like at all the venues, you know, the uh, attendance was down. Tickets were sold out, but didn't look like everyone actually showed up. So, 
Yeah, no, and, I, and we're going to address more about you know with the experience down yeah, there in a moment. But yeah, we'll let me just finish that. with this one here. The, the, has there ever been times when an archer's equipment has been in breach of the rules? Uh, not that has gotten on the field of play and gotten called out later. Because there is equipment inspection takes place beforehand. So if there was something that was not according to the rules, it would have been caught at that stage. Um, now, you may ask yourself, what's the point of equipment inspection before? You know, I mean, I would, I would argue equipment inspection is pointless. Equipment inspection is, is just a pointless waste of time. Uh, if, if somebody suspects a violation, impound the equipment there on the field and do an inspection. And DQ the person if they're found in violation. Done. Self self policing right. right yep but yeah there's uh, to my knowledge no time uh of that sort in in the modern olympic games yeah i've never and when you talk about equipment inspection on the field i've only seen that happen one time maybe twice oh, where somebody time. called out somebody and said hey check that out yeah, yeah. and the one was a, a poundage inspection yeah for compound yeah yeah and it, I, i'm 100 percent in agreement with you What's to stop anybody from taking one bow in, inspecting it, pick up another one, go shoot that? Yeah, you know. I mean, there's it's kind of pointless. It's yeah, it's make work for the judges and whatever. But whatever, it's just it's tradition, I guess, as much as anything else. Um, let's see here. We've got uh, a couple more questions that are going to come up later because they are more technical, and we appreciate uh, all the questions rolling into Facebook. I've also got a pile, and I'm literally talking a pile here of questions that came into podcast at eastontp.com. Podcast at eastontp.com is the email address we have set up for our for our podcast here. And, uh, you know, it has been a while since we've done a podcast. Sorry about that. You know, like, like I said, a lot going on, uh, including uh, including good news for Steve and Linda. Oh, yeah. Yep. Linda Congratulations. Card. Nice. Yep. So. so she's, uh, next thing you know, she'll be shooting for America. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> what is the plan there? Is she is she going to keep a, a Mexican passport and keep shooting for Mexico? Or yeah, for now she intends to keep shooting for Mexico. Um, may come a day where it makes sense to shoot for the U.S., but right now she has a slot not. for Mexico City uh, at this point. Or um, I'm sorry for for the World Cup final in uh, no no okay no. in Denmark is where I was headed. Um, so uh, at this time, both of you are. Well, more or less done for the season then. Um, You've got one more event, yeah, don't you? I've, I've got two. I've got a USA event this weekend and then uh, World Field Championship. What's the one this weekend? It's the Buckeye Classic. Oh, yes, the Buckeye Classic. We got a question on my Twitter from our friend Matt uh, out there in Ohio who wanted to know if one of us was going to be out there. And I said, no, I don't think so. I think we're going to be too busy. But I was wrong. I will be there. Yep. All Getting right. on a plane here in about three hours okay so we'll we won't make this a four-hour <laughs> podcast that's for sure um but yeah so uh, you're headed to the buckeye classic uh and watch out for the weather I yeah guess. i i'm i haven't even looked at it i'm well ready for the season I, to be i was in the uh <laughs> i was in the management meeting this morning and you know we do that with a teleconference from our other facility in indiana and you know there was some scary stuff going on out there so right but uh i guess uh Fortunately, um, all our Eastern employees in Indiana are safe, and uh, and everything's good there. But uh, yeah, some 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 tough weather this time of year. Sometimes uh, this is the time of year when we have the Texas shootout, and that's always interesting weather. Ugh, interesting, by, like the Chinese yeah, curse. Maybe you live by in interesting. interesting times. You mean it sucks to shoot? At. That's what I meant. Yeah. Okay. Hey, let's get back to this uh, subject of this little thing south of the equator that you just got back from, though. So you know, you get there. 
And I, this is your first Olympics, right? Yep. And you know, I, I've I've been to six Olympic games. They're all different. No, no two are alike, right? They're all unique. They all have their challenges. They all have their plus side. In the end, you look back and you remember the good stuff more than you remember the bad stuff. Generally, mm-hmm. how do you feel about uh, how things went overall? Um, it was interesting. Brazil has a specific word they they use that basically means find a way to make it work and they cited that word i think in the opening ceremonies maybe you know talk about their their find a way to make it work attitude and there was a lot of that um you know we had a we had a question about the venue it was it was pretty interesting because a lot of the stuff that goes into the final decor of the venue didn't show up until just days before, you know, like a day oh, yeah. before the Yeah, event. if you look at Dean Alberga's DutchTarget.com photos, which, by the way, they're magnificent photos that Dean has taken, and I know my buddy Yoshi Komatsu took some great photos as well. Look at the photos from day one, and you'll see it's a plywood. <laughs> yes. It's a plywood wall, yep. and then they put up what they call the look of the games. Uh-huh. The, the look of the games is the decoration that's common to all venues, Usually it's some kind of printed cloth or printed material, mm-hmm. and then that goes on everything, and underneath there, it's it's like a movie prop, right? I mean, it's literally, it's like a movie prop. I mean, you've got walls that are not really walls, and you've yeah. got, you know, what looks like a solid thing is just a hollow box, but it looks good on mm-hmm. TV. And in the case of the venue at the Samba Dromo. Yeah, that, that whole wall. I mean, they got the back, you know, the vinyl cover or whatever it's made of. They got that two days before, and it was the wrong one. It was mesh, so you could see the wood through it. So, so is Greg point, is Greg having a cow at this point? Greg Easton, our boss, he's the he was the technical delegate, one of the two technical technical was, delegates uh, for the thing. Yeah, basically, got to make sure everything's right. Yep, making sure all the. Uh, so he's running around like a man with his hair on fire. Eyes are dotted and teaser. Two crossed. days before this thing starts, the wrong stuff shows up. Yeah, so. We probably shouldn't tell too many behind-the-scenes stories, but okay, that's, that's a good interesting. One. You know, it, it's uh, people don't know what they don't know, and if the games looked great, well, they were pretty good. Yeah, when everything was was put up, it was fine. But yeah, two days before the, they got the wrong stuff, and they don't know where the right stuff is. So, uh, you know, it's amazing the the graffiti in Rio. There's some of it that's just common street graffiti. You know writing on walls and just terrible then there's the artistic it's all in portuguese stuff. though right yeah there's yeah. the artistic stuff and those guys are incredible guys or girls whoever's doing that is doing really good work uh-huh. so artistic graffiti right yeah I mean, we're, we're talking almost mural quality these here. are murals yeah. yeah so we're sitting at dinner without any backdrops and greg goes you know what and he said this in seriousness like maybe we just go find the graffiti people pay them, have them decorate the wall. You know, that's some, that is some uh, out-of-the-box thinking. It would have worked. They would have done a great job, you know, and it would have been authentic to Rio, but it wouldn't have been the look of the games. Yeah, that, that would be the so, – that would be a – they probably would have to have a big meeting to discuss yeah. something like that. Actually, though, in retrospect, that would have been a brilliant idea. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a good idea. But, you know, magically we show up uh, the last unofficial practice day, and boom, there's the, the – uh, backdrop just in time for yep. official practice then so they got it up on the qualification field first and then they put it up on the finals field so they did it just as needed you know greece was a little similar to this right 
um, the Athens games. A lot of stuff happened at the last moment. Yeah, and that's one of my sayings. You know, if it weren't for the last minute, I wouldn't get anything done. So maybe I'm Brazilian at heart. <laughs> so I was thinking about you the other day when I was um, I was over at Jay Barr's house and I was having dinner with Jay and Janet in their backyard, and he he goes, you got to see this. And he goes out, he goes into the house, he comes out with a thing called a bug assault. Have you seen this thing? Uh, yes. It's like a little cannon that fires salt at, at bugs, you know, kills them in the air. You know, it's awesome. It's like a little, it looks like a water pistol, right? But it fires salt right. at a high speed and, and it'll knock like a house fly out of the sky in three meters, you know? <laughs> and, and I was just thinking, as I saw the pictures <laughs> of one Carlos Holgado like standing behind the media guys with this electronic bug zapper. <laughs> the tennis racket. <laughs> what yeah. the heck was that? So, yeah, he's got one of those little electric tennis rackets whacking these bugs, and you're, you're watching the shooting, and then once, you know, the arrows have been fired and they're between ends, you hear this whack, whack, zig, 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 zig. And he's, uh, he's taking out the bugs for the camera guys because they can't be swatting at bugs the whole time. Sure. So, yeah, if anyone told you there weren't mosquitoes, they lied. Well, that was an official statement from some high official there, but I remember I remember I was uh, talking to you, and there were like mosquitoes in the background as you were talking. It was like you're just looking at them, you know. All right, whatever. Yeah. But uh, you know, all in all, I would say that you know, um, successful event for sure from the standpoint of our sport. Yeah, I mean, everything was everything was great. So truly at archery, and and let's face it, you don't have a new world record without reasonably good conditions and, and a good feel for what's going on. Yeah, the uh, the men had good conditions in the morning. The women had a lot more wind. Yeah. And then, you know, to address that question about the finals venue, yeah, the wind was doing some some interesting swirling. Now, the, the venue itself is it's basically a street, right? This is where they do the uh, carnival parade. So it ha- it's like a street that has stadium on each side. And – the end of the stadium was at about 60 meters, maybe 55 meters. So you did have a bit of wind wanting to wrap around the stadium and create an issue downrange versus the archers are shooting about 10 meters into the stadium. So they are getting a little bit different wind coming through the gap to the back. And if you looked at the, the on-screen graphic, I don't think it was ever really right. Um, you know, the archers had a great wind flag, so they had a good reference there. But what they're feeling at full draw versus what's happening downrange was oftentimes polar opposites. Totally true of uh, the Lord's Cricket Ground venue in London at the 2012 games as well. Yeah, so. Same deal. Yeah, it's just, it was, uh, it was a tough wind at times. It would tend to pick up from, you know, 2 to 4 o'clock. And then as the sun started to set, that wind would die down. Big difference. So, you know, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of the accomplishments at this particular event. Um, when you look at a new world record, 700 points, mm-hmm. uh, predictable, um, that there was going to be a record if the weather was going to be good. Because all summer long, the momentum has been headed in that direction. Yeah, and the guy the question was who May. was going to do it. Yeah, he said he would do it in May. Lee. At, uh, uh, Kim. Kim. Yeah. Kim. He said, oh, I will break the world record. In Rio. Kim Woojin. <laughs> he did it. And, you know, and Kim Woojin did that. Now, yeah. you know, um, before the event, uh, Chris Wells from WA, he uh, he asked a few of us who've been around the sport for a while our predictions, right? So right. I predicted that, that there would be a 700, mm-hmm. but I predicted it might be Brady. 
that, right. that was able to do it. Now, Brady was 690. Yeah. Second place at 690. Yeah. 10 points difference. So, you know, Kim Woo-jin came with a whole different whole different ball game. Yeah, it was uh, interesting to watch the last few ins. He needed a – I think he needed 58s on each – no, he needed – he needed a 176 to close. So he shot the 348, and then he needed a 352, and he opened 176, and then he went uh, 58, 59, 59. And we, we watched the last few arrows. You know, we couldn't see them really well in the target, but it was pretty obvious his fletchings, at least. We could see his fletchings, and they were, you know, he was grouping incredibly well. Oh, yeah. So. It- what size X10 does he use? Is it a 410? I think it's a 410. Yeah, 410 X10 with 100... 120. 20 tungsten point. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. You know that um, as, a, as a general rule, the Korean men uh, generally shoot tungsten points. Some of the Korean women sometimes shoot the steel point. But I think at, this, at these games, it was 100% tungsten points across the board on, on the uh, Korean team. Yep. It was. Easton Tungsten points. So, um, you know, Kim Woo-jin, Kuban Chan, and Lee Sang-yun um, going into the team round after this qualifying round, right? Number one with a bullet. Um, you've got some other good contenders there, but, you know, Korea just about crushed Netherlands right out of the box. Yeah. 6-0. Yeah, the first end, they, they shot a, a 55, and then they went 59-57. And, and they didn't drop any points to Australia either in set play. Nope in the next pass in the semifinals it was it was amazing i watched that one i was uh i had a quick break so i was i was out there watching it and you know australia shoots 57 58 and they're down 3-1 yeah you know that was I mean, what are you gonna do you know korea obviously came to this thing with a mission you maybe know? i'm wrong maybe they were down 4-0 well yeah, the they point, were the point is that you know i mean you're looking at a huge accomplishment and then korea goes goes up against usa after usa had taken out indonesia after usa had taken out um you know indonesia and then china usa beat indonesia 6-2 they beat china 6-0 and then they find themselves up against korea rematch of the semifinal from the London Olympic Games. And, you know, back in London, the American team won. Mm -hmm. This time, the Korean team won, and the Americans won the silver. They didn't lose the gold this time. They they won the silver. (laughs) Because Korea dropped a 60, 60. 58, 59. That's all she wrote. Yeah. Um, Watching that one, and a guy asked me, he said, do you think your compound team would be able to beat that? And I said, thank God in compound it would go to five ends. That's all we have, you know. And, and stats and numbers would say that the longer it goes, the more advantage we have because, you know, our world record is significantly higher. Our scores tend to be higher. But out the gate, to, to be down three points and three ends, that's a competitive score. And that's compound level performance yes. coming out of guys with recurve bows. And an sure. Olympic gold medal match. Yeah. And they're not shooting quarterfinals against, you know. You know that that's what they Malaysia. were working toward. And I, I think that was a good chunk of their medal game there. Yeah, it, it, it could have been. I mean, that was just the – you got to come out and start strong. And when they came out, they probably thought, okay – Let's go hammer this end out. It'll take care of the rest. And they did it. Significant know? accomplishment for Australia. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Yeah. Yeah, those guys picking up a bronze Six, medal. Six-two picked up a bronze medal, including our uh, our buddies there, including Ryan. And so, you know, um, I, I was very impressed to see, uh, 
you know, the Australian team, Alec Potts and Taylor Worth and Ryan Tyak go out there and get it done. Yep. It was uh, it was a good show for them. Taylor had a really good tournament. I thought he was going to maybe even make it a little bit further individually. But yeah. He shot really yeah, well. I was looking at those brackets there and thinking, uh-oh, is he going to be up against Brady again here? But yeah. That was kind of interesting. Um, you know, from the standpoint of the uh, just the ranking, you know, in the uh, in the team round, Italy actually uh, was ranked third in the qualifying round, and Australia moved up from fourth. But Korea was number one. They stayed number one. USA was number two. They stayed number two. Australia uh, exceeded their uh, expectations, I think, and and came in there and and did a great job. So, on the women's side, um, you know, when we consider the quality, the consistency of the Korean women at this event. Um, the only surprise in my mind was maybe the fact that uh, we didn't see uh, Choi Misun finish higher individually. You yeah. know, I, I would say that uh, that was my only surprise. Yeah, and she just kind of ran into uh, Alejandra Valencia when she was shooting very strong. Very so. strong. So, yep. you know, that got was caught at the wrong time by the wrong person. I would call that the surprise. Uh, but but we're getting ahead of ourselves talking about the individual with the women's team round. The final ranking was pretty close to the um, the qualifying. We had Korea there number one. And Korea had to take out the team from uh, Japan after having a bye. And and Japan got a point against Korea. So good for them. You know, the last mm-hmm. time. Japan and Korea came up against each other at a major event. Korea actually was defeated by Japan. It was at the World Cup yeah, a little over a year Shanghai, ago. Right? Uh, it was at Shanghai. Uh, no, excuse me. It was Antalya? at Antalya. Yeah. So, you know, I was kind of, um, yeah, as you know, the Japanese team came out here to Salt Lake City to acclimate before going down to Rio. And um, they were shooting really well. They were shooting really well as both individuals and as teams. So, you know, I was kind of hopeful. But when I saw the bracket, I was like, ah, that's going to be a tough one. Yeah. Tough one. I mean, look at this, though. First place, Korea, the, their total ranking score, 1,998 points. Mm-hmm. Second place was Russia, 1,938 right. points. So yeah. they, were, they were 20 points better per shooter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, what can you say about that except, wow, you know? And then, so Korea found themselves up against Chinese Taipei. And, and you know, Chinese Taipei, another team with a great chance. And they sure pushed it, you know? Um, as far as they could, but, uh, boy, I'll, you don't shoot fifties when Korea shoots sixties. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying. Yeah. If there, if Korea had a 53 on the board right there, I'd go, Oh, maybe it was a little windy and they shot a 50. Korea's know? women dropped a 60 on Chinese Taipei in the first, <laughs> in the first, first set. End. Yeah. And then, uh, they actually drew the second set. Yep, 53 all. Yeah, so, and that was the one point you see from Chinese Taipei, because after that, bye-bye. If I'm right, it was, a, it was a windy end. Yeah, yeah, Or yeah. a windy, windy match. The women generally got served up wind because the women were generally scheduled in the afternoons, right? Um, or did well, it... these matches all took oh, yes, place on individual right. days. They were individual days, yep. that's right. So it was a women's day, then a men's day. It just kind of... Just didn't work out well for the women yeah, in that only regard. one time did they have a uh, different shooting schedule china versus italy italy beat china 5-3 and then italy found themselves up against russia russia beat india 5-4 so if there was a uh, a little bit of a surprise maybe it was russia beating india um yeah you know and certainly in italy beating china 
China not terribly happy with the outcome of this event. Yeah, they uh, they didn't they do didn't, well overall in the Olympic Games. Yeah, well, this, they they this were time fourth around. as uh, men's team as well. Yeah, yeah, correct. So, I mean, we're talking I mean, in, in other sports too. I mean, there's a big controversy oh. in China right now about how they performed at these games, and you know, there's a there's going to be some shakeup uh, politically, I suppose, uh, in the sports federations in China because of all of this fallout. But in the end, it was bronze medal match, Chinese Taipei versus Italy, and uh, that was a good match, 5-3 in terms of Chinese Taipei taking that one. That was no surprise. That was one of my predictions is Chinese Taipei meddling. And uh, Korea versus Russia for the gold. Russia earning that silver medal. Uh, they got one point against Korea. Can't... can't uh, can't be sad about that. Yeah, there was really no one who's going to beat Korea on the team side. 59 out of the games. box for Korea. Russia, 49 out of the box on that first end. You think there were some nerves? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It was Like I said, no one no one was going to beat the Korean teams at these games. No. Nobody. No. So so that was, you know, that's all you can say. I mean, you know, um, some maybe some disappointment for Brazil not finishing in the top eight, but, you know, considering that they – Started with nothing a few years ago. Making it into the top nine uh, for the women was a, a good accomplishment for Brazil, for the home country. In the end, it was uh, number one Korea for the women. Russian Federation was second. Chinese Taipei third. Italy was fourth. Mexico fifth. India sixth. Then China seventh. Japan was number eight. And then Brazil was number nine. And, um, I, you know, one of the things about the games that they always try to at least pay attention to is the question of a legacy. Do you, Steve, candidly, do you think there's going to be a legacy for archery in Brazil after this? I mean, we've, they had their hmm. training centers. They built good shooters like Marcus, mm -hmm. Sarah. Um, what do you think is going to come out of this uh, going down the road? Because it's really a tough archery environment in Brazil. You know, 280% tax on archery yeah, gear they I mean, can't get crazy. equipment yeah i mean not at a reasable price no. what, what would cost you and i a hundred dollars cost them four hundred dollars so it's i don't know i i have my doubts about the continuation of the brazilian archery federation and their participation at major events i would like to see it because i think they have a great coach i think evandro is a really good guy and makes really really good decisions with those teams um the teams obviously as a whole you know they aren't quite up to speed yet but i think they have a few individuals who obviously can do it uh besides marcus uh, bernardo's shooting very well i think daniel has some potential and on the men's side they had uh ann who she actually won a couple matches so hopefully they can continue to receive some support and, and uh, continue to get some some funding to travel to events, but I, I have my doubts. Let's look at the quarterfinals for the women individually. We had, um, you had Choi Misun against Alejandra Valencia. So that was, in my mind, that was a surprise of the games for me. Yeah. For the first one. Yep. You know, Alejandra taking out uh, Choi Misun, who I honestly pegged as the gold medalist of these games. And uh, she went out 6-0. So that was my thought initially as well. Choi Misun would win. Then we got there. On July 31st, I was watching everybody practice, and I sent Braden Galantine a text. I said, it's going to be Chang and Ku, based off what I'm seeing right now. What you saw there on, on the that ground. Day. Yeah, yeah and that, I mean, that was almost two weeks ahead. 
and it held true. Those two continued to be the, the best shooters throughout the games. It worked out. Uh, another surprise, a little bit of a surprise, because I know how great this shooter is, but Lisa Unruh beating Tanya Ting? Yeah, it was... Uh, Lisa was ranked 21st. Tan was 4th. Lisa's a, a big tournament player. Oh, yeah. You know? You know, watch, she shows up when it matters. Consider what she did at the World Indoor earlier this year, right? I mean, in, in Ankara, yeah. at the World Indoor, Lisa went out there and crushed it. Yeah, so she's and a World Indoor, World Field champion. A couple times she's won at Nîmes Indoor. Yep, and now she's an uh, Olympic silver medalist. There she is, Olympic silver medalist from Germany, the first one I can think of in eight, well, maybe ever, uh, for, for archery. Pretty sure that's true. And and just a tremendous accomplishment from our friend Lisa Unruh. Um, Kibo Bei uh, took out uh, Wu Shisheng of China, uh, but you know didn't just cruise to a win there. And the scores, I know that the scores were impaired a little bit by the by the weather, but uh, you know when you see twenty fours out of Kibo Bay, it just makes you wonder. Wow, you know? yeah, I mean, and, and she yeah, didn't just cruise below. to a win there. I mean, it was, you know, it was six uh, three. I think at that point. Um, so where are we looking here? Okay, in the quarters or six two rather six two. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So yeah, so and then you had uh, Chang Hai Jin versus uh, Naomi Folkard. Naomi making her best run ever at the Olympics. Yep. I think her third Olympic Games is this, and third or fourth. I think it might be fourth. Yeah, it might be. And 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 Naomi shot well. Yeah, it was you know, uh, made it all the way to the quarterfinals. It, so. She had a she had a good a good bracket. Um, yeah, and she made the most of it. Yeah, well so. done for Noams there, getting to the uh, quarterfinal. But in the end, the semifinalists: Alejandra Valencia, Lisa Unruh, Kibo Bay, and uh, Chang Hai Jin of Korea. And then for the um, semifinals, Lisa beat Alejandra, and Miss Chang beat Miss Ki. So now we've got a final setup for a gold medal match, and a bronze medal match between Alexandra, uh, Alejandra Valencia, and uh, Kibo Bay. Which um, I'll tell you what that one almost went all the way. Yep, Kibo Bay closing with a thirty was spectacular. Clutch. Yeah, coming out of a twenty-one. Yes, coming out of a twenty-one. It I was, mean, whoa! It was nuts. And and I, you know, Linda obviously, you know, is a friend of Alejandra. So I'm watching that match, and Linda's texting me, and and I'm getting messages, and I'm kind of, kind of, you know, half pulling for Alejandra. It really, you know, I'm not gonna say I don't care, but I'm, I'm unaffected by either whoever wins. You know, personally, it, it, yeah, unaffected, it's yeah. no effect to me. I'm, I'm hoping for the best for Mexico because I know how few and far medals are in that country, and when yeah, they and they've had one, a lot of trouble the last four years yes. in terms of their athletes getting proper support and their federation. I mean, it's just been a real problem. Yeah. So yeah, I was hoping for some success there, and Alejandra, really nice girl, made a huge run at the games and. And everyone says she's very intelligent, very hard worker. So you you pull for someone like that. Sure. And you know, Kibo Bay, already a gold medalist. You're like, ah, if she loses the bronze, you know, she's still got a gold. Who you know, who cares? But, she does for sure. Yeah, but, yeah. And to close with a thirty was it was clutch. Yeah, just huge, just yep. a huge performance, showing the heart of a champion, Kibo Bay. So the final uh, ranking there was Chang Hai Jin uh, winning the gold, and Lisa Unruh with the silver, Kibo Bay winning the bronze. Then Alejandro Valencia with a, I'm sure, disappointed to be fourth. That's the toughest place to be is fourth place. Yeah, I think I think there was some happiness, you know, to have made it into a medal match. Maybe she didn't have that expectation going in. Yeah. But to get there and lose is 
even if you don't have the expectation, that's still really, really bittersweet. Yeah. Tanya so. Ting, uh, fifth. Wu Xiaxing from China, sixth. Naomi Folkard with her best Olympic performance ever, seventh place. And uh, Choi Misun, a surprising eighth. Yep, that was uh, surprising, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's not... She's kind of got the... the uh, just a demeanor about her that she's going to win and she'll cut your throat to do it. And I say that in a good way, term of endearment. And it was, it was hard to see her, see her lose. Let's look at the men's uh, situation here for, for a few minutes and, and consider this. This is uh, one of the tougher things to do, of course, is to go to an Olympic games the second or third time and even medal. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not an easy thing to do. Historically, only a couple of men have ever gone to a second Olympics and won the thing, and those are Simon Fairweather and Victor Rubin. Those are the only guys that have ever, ever done that, you know. Um, most everyone else that's medaled and, and won the Olympics has done it at their first shot. And I think that's because you have less pressure, perhaps. Maybe uh, expectations aren't what they are. Either way, you're not, you're not under the burden shall we say, of expectations uh, the first time you go to the games. And so when you see a situation where a guy like um, Kuban Chen, right, he's he's at the games, and uh, I think everybody's got their eye on his teammate, Kim Woo-jin, right? Kim Woo-jin, he of the 700. Especially after dropping a world record. I mean, you know, what are the expectations there? Kim Woo Jin was under some pressure. There's no question about that. But you made a, a comment to me, uh, a little cryptic comment on on a text, and you were saying, you know, there was some stuff going on. So you want to you want to touch on any of that, or I don't remember what I said. Oh well, it had to do with something you had observed, you know, among the Koreans. Maybe we don't want to go there. I don't remember what I observed. Okay, well we'll just keep it. We'll I'm see going, if that I'm going we'll see if that brain guess. cell fires. We'll see if that brain cell fires for you. <laughs> okay. Well, let's move on then. All right, we'll move on for now. But but you got to sympathize with the guy. He just set an enormous score, 700 points with a recurve bow and goes out relatively how do I put this? Didn't meet expectations maybe. Yeah. Would that be a fair way to put it? That'd be a fair way to put it. So, you know, from that perspective, I mean, what happened? Some people are players when it comes to the qualifying round. There's no question in my mind some people are stronger in the qualifying round and their mental game works better for the qualifying round than it does for the individual round. And maybe maybe that is part of what we saw here. You know, maybe that is part of, of the effect that we saw here. Looking at the brackets, okay, um, Lee Seng Yun made it in there. Kuban Chan made it in there, and you know, I, I just don't. I, I what can you say when you see a situation when a guy like Kim Woo Jin goes out to a good shooter, but not a great shooter from Indonesia, who was ranked thirty third, went out in the second pass to Riau Agatha. From Indonesia, yep. You know, um, and I've I've seen uh, Agatha shoot a number of times. Me too. Indoors too at an indoor World Cup. Uh huh. And I kind of wasn't surprised he can he, he can, can turn, turn it, on. it on. That's exactly right. 
And so Kim Woo-jin versus Ega Agatha in the 116th, and Kim Woo-jin opens with a 29 to Ega Agatha's 27. And then a 27 from Kim Woo-jin, Ega Agatha drops a 28 on him, one point. Then Kim Woo-jin shoots a 24. Huh? Yep. Ega Agatha with a 27, so he's consistent. And then Kim Woo-jin with a 27, Ega Agatha edges him by a point. He just kept nipping him, yeah. Just, just, just sort of the death by a thousand cuts. Yep. Ega Agatha finds himself up against Mauro Nespoli uh, going into the uh, quarterfinals, and Mr. Nespoli finds himself running into a wood chipper named J.C. Valadon, who we're going to talk about a little bit. I'm trying to find this text message. Was, is later. it where I said that uh, the Olympics is the easiest tournament to win? Uh, no. Uh, but anyway, moving on, moving on. We'll have to talk about it later. Yeah, we can talk about it later. Um, we had... Uh, we had uh, Wutaya Tamwang from Thailand, who I've seen in many of the Asian Championship and uh, Asia Grand Prix events, and he did well. He uh, found himself up against uh, Wei Cheng Heng of Chinese Taipei, went out by, um, or beat Mr. Wei, I should say, by one set point, 6-5, and then found himself up against that French wood chipper. <laughs> uh, JC with a 6-0 win over Mr. Tamwang to uh, find himself into the uh, quarterfinals there. Lee Sang-young, um, consistent pretty much all the way through. Lee beat Mr. Javier of Brazil, and then he beat Mr. Uh, Alvarino from uh, Spain, then beat At- Atnu Das from India, another strong shooter, and uh, found himself up against Chef Van Den Berg, who I think a lot of folks looked at as a, a great hope for a medal for Netherlands at this event. Yep, and it was interesting because there was, I think it was maybe Tom Dillon who predicted Chef would go far. I, I don't remember uh, who. But well, a lot of us did. I, yeah. I think you did before the before you left for Brazil. I think you yep. were expecting Chef to, to uh, perform really well, and he did perform really well for his yeah. first games. He's got nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, by all means, he qualified fourth, and he made his way up and took fourth place. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, Taylor Worth making his way through, uh, slashing his way through here, and finding himself up against uh, some good shooters and, and prevailing. You know, uh, Mr. Malave from Venezuela, a very experienced shooter, by the way. Um, Taylor beating him um, 6-4. And then Mr. Fernandez from Spain, uh, 7-3 win there for Taylor. So Taylor found himself against Kubanchan. Bye-bye. Kubanchan uh, beating Taylor Worth there. Yeah, and a shoot-off. My buddy uh, Takaharu Furukawa. If I remember right, yeah, Taylor shot an 8 on his last arrow, yeah. and that's what sent it to a shoot-off. Um, Ku shot a, a good solid 10, and Taylor a 9. Yeah, yeah. Takaharu Furukawa found himself against Mitch Dielemans, uh going into the uh, first pass. Uh, Takahara was pretty relieved that, that he wasn't going to have to come up against any Koreans till the semis. <laughs> but that um, yeah, that relief wore off when he found himself up against a fellow by the name of Brady Ellison. <laughs> and that, uh, you know, that gave you trouble. in the quarterfinals, right? Yeah. And um, that was a tough one. And speaking of tough brackets, you know, okay, you got 64 men on the field and you got people on the internet saying, that the Americans should have bracketed themselves better. What? It's 
Yeah, I mean, you can maybe do that in a team round. It's a single round, right? I mean, it's a single line. <laughs> yeah. It's not an A-B line. No. It's not an A-B-C-D line, I should say. Nope. How the hell are you expected you to can't. figure out where you're at? No. When, Give me when, a freaking break. When your scores These are ranging idiots. literally between 50 and 60 points. I, I just, you know, some of the idiocy <laughs> that you see after the fact. They got... There's a particular archery discussion page that has like four pages of how certain teams must have figured out this stuff. I'm like, what? All you do is go and try to shoot arrows in the ten. No one is no one is strategizing. Some okay. of these keyboard warriors. Let's have a amazing let's, to me. Let's shoot just a little bit lower score here. It'll it'll help us in the brackets it's, later on. It's incredible. Yeah, just it's. I mean, realistically, you take the the. 50% in the middle of the bracket and on the last end you flip a coin and you can move up or down five spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you don't know what the guy on target 32 just did. No, you got no no way to nothing, know. Yeah, it's just it's ridiculous. It's not even worth talking All about. Alright, so we're done talking about it. But <laughs> <sighs> hey, There's not, no strategizing your bracket position no, no, in individuals. No, no. I have seen it done in the team round though. Someone was, uh, the US I think in Bellic was close. They were they were ninth. They didn't want to shoot against Korea first round. Coach had a guy shoot a zero. Yep. Move a whole different down. ball game though, because yep. it's a whole lot less people on that field and you can figure things out a little more clearly. Yes. Well, okay. there's more people on the field, but you can you can gauge a team round a little easier. Well what I meant is yeah, you're right, there's more people on the field, but there's less A B line. There's yeah. less com- competitive elements on the field, is what right. I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyway. it's easy to go, okay, if we just tank 10 points, we'll be out. Yeah. And then, you know, there's this big moral controversy. Is that okay to do? Well, yeah, it's part of the, it's part of the game. It's not against the rules. You're right. Right? All right. Anyway, moving on. A um, couple others, notables. Uh, our buddy Crispin Duenas from Canada. He had his best Olympic performance ever. I think it's his third games, something like that. Made it I to think, the 160th. Yeah, I think so. Went out against a fellow by the name of Zach Garrett. Yep. And Zach's first Olympics – Coming home with a medal from that is spectacular. Really good performance there. Yeah. And, he, you know, not an individual medal, but a team silver for Zach Garrett. Uh, just a huge accomplishment. But, you know, this is one of those tough ones, one of those tough brackets when you got two teammates up against each other. Um, you know, first you had Brady and Jake Kaminsky have to go up against each other. And that happened in the, let's see here, 116th elimination, right? Mm-hmm. Brady and Jake. And um, I, I guess they chose to go out there without coach, without yeah, a coach on either. They did. And then all the other them. teams who had that same uh, circumstance, they followed suit. None of them they, went with they coaches. They were kind of inspired by what Brady and Jake yes. did, maybe. So um, in that first pass there between Brady and Jake, it was uh, one point difference in that first set. And then Jake actually took the second set, and then Brady uh, closed out with a thirty and a twenty nine to beat to beat Jake, yeah, and uh, find himself up against Zach. And I wouldn't have put money on who would win between um, either of those two, either Brady or Jake or Brady and Zach. That was other than Zach's mishap in the fourth end. Yeah, 21, he, which yeah. is uncharacteristic. He shot, shot a awesome. couple of bad arrows there. Um, he had and then came back really well. Like that. Came back well, though. So if you look at Brady's first 15 ends, so his first three rounds, or excuse me, his first three rounds, he dropped 15 points yeah. in 12 ends. Yeah, yeah. 29, 30. 30, 27, 27, 30, 29, 29, 29, 28, 28, 29. Yowza. He had two ends the whole tournament less than 26. Yeah. Or less than 27. Yeah. 
He had two twenty sixes. That you was know, it. The, the guy was on, right? He was definitely on. And you're looking at a situation where now he's up against my buddy Takahara Furukawa, and Brady dropped the smack dab on 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 Mr. Furukawa. It was closer than it looks. I mean, yeah, six two, but you know they tied the first end. Furukawa shot twenty five the second end. Brady twenty eight. Yep. And then 28-27 Brady, and yep. then 29-29. Pair of 29s at the yeah. end there. But, uh, you know, could have forced uh, could have forced a little tighter match there. But I, I told Furukawa, you know, afterward, um, you know, he, he did his best. He really did. And um, no shame in losing to Brady Ellison in this situation. No, Brady's shooting better than I've ever seen. So now we're in the semifinals, and we've got uh, JC versus Chef, and we've got Mr. Koo from Korea versus Brady. And... Uh, tiebreaker between Mr. Koo and Brady. When I saw Brady's elbow move an eighth to a quarter of an inch uh, on the shoot-off arrow, I knew where that was going to go. And it went low eight. And Kuban Chan prevailed. Yeah, and realistically, Koo's arrow was only about two shafts closer. Yeah. But it was in the nine. Yeah, yeah. just enough to catch. So that could have gone either way, and uh, unfortunately for Brady, uh, you know, it, it didn't go his way this particular time. But, boy, I'll tell you what, um, what a great performance in the bronze medal match for Brady Ellison versus Chef Vandenberg. Dominating from the very beginning, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was you know, 2-2, and then he, then he pulled a 30, mm-hmm. and then then uh, close it out. Yeah, maybe you know what? That's the wrong way to put it. He wasn't dominating from the very beginning. What he did do was he got stronger as he went. Yeah. He he performed in the moment. He performed when he needed to. And won that bronze medal and you could see that was very meaningful for him. Yeah, I didn't know how he would react there and he was clearly pumped. Classy. Yeah, he, it was he was happy to have an individual bronze medal. And I I saw him I saw him as classy. Yeah. So to anyone not watching right there on the spot so if you lose in the semis right if you're the second semi you lose you walk off the field they give you about three minutes you walk back on the field yeah the italian women's team was still crying after their semi-final loss yeah you know they're coming on the field having to shoot through that uh you know give them give them 10 minutes maybe but well you're on you're on on live satellite tv yes and and that's it that's part of the pressure of the games right so meanwhile comes back out yep and wins a bronze and he's He's had to shed that whole disappointment of the one bad arrow that cost him a chance at Olympic gold. Yep. And and I would – yeah. And immediately turn his attention to winning a bronze, and he does, and he's happy about it, you know. Yeah, it goes from bitter disappointment to probably elation, you know, mm-hmm. at the very least. You can see your sense of relief there. And he kept his promise to Coach Lee, which was to win an individual medal. I did not know he had made that promise. Yeah, so – that was pretty cool, and I think Coach Lee was uh, was pretty emotional about the whole thing too. So that worked out well. Brady Ellison, the first American man to win a bronze medal individually at the Olympic Games. We've never done anything other than a silver or a uh, or a gold or huh? a gold, and so Brady takes the first bronze for an American male at the Olympics. Pretty, you know what's interesting is you, you think you know what the uh, the club of gold medal winners is pretty small club, right? Yeah. Well, the club of easy enough to name the, the club of silver and bronze medal winners is just as small. You know? True, and and I had a, a track coach 
my track coach in college was the bronze medalist in the decathlon in Sydney. And it was one of the closest decathlons ever contested. He was, you know, four inches in the long jump away from being a gold medalist. You know, that was how close it was, something like that. And and he was interviewed by HBO, and they said, you know, are you disappointed you, you lost the gold medal in such a – which is a total USA thing to say. You lost the gold medal. Yeah. And he goes, you know what, I'm I'm not because I'm still a bronze medalist, and there's just as few of those as there are gold medalists. Yep, yep. So, and and the you know I, it is an American thing where yeah. we pay more attention to the gold medal winners than to the bronze or the silver medal winners. But in other countries, they don't have this issue, and that's that leads very nicely into the next, uh, which is the gold medal match. Right. And it's Kuban Chan of Korea versus J.C. Valadon of France. Now, Kuban Chan, I wouldn't have called him for for the gold. I would have called him for a medal. I didn't expect him in the gold medal final, and you know why. I mean, you know. Um, but Kuban Chan finds himself the only Korean left standing for a medal, you know, in the final, which is a bit of a surprise. Mm-hmm. And he's up against J.C. Veladon. Now, consider the dynamics here a little bit. The last games, London, Oh Jin Hyuk, first Korean male to win the individual final ever. Right. So there's a monkey off the back of Korea. Right, they no longer have that. I mean, in '88 they had their chance. Jay Bars beat them. Mm-hmm. In '92 they had their chance. Sebastian Flute beat them. So you're looking at a situation where the Koreans just can't catch a break in terms of the male individual until Ojin Hyuk uh, beat Furukawa uh, in in London. Now you've got J.C. Valadon. Nobody expected. Nobody expected J.C. to be in the final. Nobody predicted that. I think they were all just happy to have French archers in the Olympic Games because they didn't qualify all. until Antalya. Yeah. You know, that was a big... Yeah. And France is the biggest uh, archery country, okay? Mm-hmm. France has got 75,000 recurve registered shooters, and the FFTA is the biggest federation for archery in the world. Mm-hmm. So for J.C. Valadon to be standing there with, uh, with our buddy Mark coaching... And finding himself shooting against Mr. Koo, you know? He's kind of got a win already. Yes, that's my point. <laughs> yeah. Goes back to what we were talking about, the value of a medal. He's got a silver medal. Yep. He doesn't have to shoot a single arrow. He's, yeah. He can walk off of there, he's got a silver medal. Yep. And he performed pretty well, but Koo yeah. opens with a 30, boom. Yeah. And then a 28 to JC's 26, boom. You look at almost every one of the Korean – Final matches. Well, let me go take a look at the women's. But yeah. uh, in in the men's team and the women's team yeah. and coup. Yeah, the performance is there. And but then JC yeah, starts the first, to the first end was a thirty yeah. or a sixty. Yes, and or then JC. Yes, exactly. Korea was not going to give any quarter to their to their opponents, and 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 that's consistent through these games. But JC starts coming back. Right, starts to put the pressure on. Now they got to draw twenty nine twenty nine. Then JC takes this next end, yeah, next set. That's 5-3. Yes. And finally, uh, it comes down to a single point. And and I will say this. The fourth end, Ku shot one. They called it in initially. Yeah. He celebrates. Yes, I saw that. And then they call it out. Yes. He did a very good job of collecting himself, regrouping, and, and getting back coach, on the line. And his coach yeah. got right on him, right? You notice that? The coach yeah. was like, Okay, hold on. And you also notice Mark kept 
JC energized. Mm-hmm. Right? They I didn't see that. Yep. I didn't Mark finish. was on it. So he knew. Mark Dellenbach knew that the possibility was there that that arrow was going to get called out. And if that happened, that he needed to keep JC on focus, on point. And guess what? JC comes back and takes that set. Yep. 29-28. And then finally, last set, 27-26 in favor of Ku Kuban Chan, your Olympic gold medalist. And JC Valadon wins the first individual Olympic medal for France in men's competition since 1992, since Sebastian Flute won the Barcelona Olympic Games. It was Sebastian winning the Olympics in 92 that led to the explosion of popularity of archery in France that has endured ever since. Yeah, they got a lot of turnover. They got, they got 30,000 new members every year, and they lose 30,000 a year. But now you got J.C. Valadon, silver medalist. I predict another explosion of interest in archery in France, equivalent to what we saw here when the Hunger Games movie came out and, and other stuff. I predict we are going to see strong archery growth, sustainable growth in France. And that would be great. And we're going we're gonna to look forward to that and helping the FFTA capitalize on that because it's great for the sport. And J.C. Valadon isn't just a, a target archer. He's an enthusiastic bow hunter. <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's been called the Brady Ellison of Europe. Very much so. And he's also <laughs> world field champion. Yep. And he's going to be shooting uh, world field again. Yes, and so is Brady. Yeah. Right? You're, and, right. and you, you're, you're headed off to Ireland. Yep. So uh, so you alluded to having a couple more events. The next one you're going to is this Buckeye Classic in Ohio, and then you're getting into field mode, are you not? It's all in on field mode. I, I, I This has been a long season, and I'm ready to be done. So I get home Sunday night. Um, I'm going to take a few days, just kind of chill out. Mm-hmm. Come September 1, it's all in for all right. three and a half weeks. I'm going to just burn out. I'm gonna, all right. When I shoot my last arrow, hopefully in the gold medal final in Ireland, that'll be the last arrow I could physically make myself shoot this season. All right. Then I'm going to quit for a month. I'm going to retire for a month. Okay. Then I'm going to come back and shoot in. Okay. So talk to me about uh, Indoor World Cup a little bit. Indoor World Cup? What's your plan? I don't think I'll go to any of those. So consider this. Moving ahead. You know that the next World Indoor is the last World Indoor, for all intent and purpose. That's what I'm hearing, That's yep. the plan right now. Yep. I, I don't know if that's been finalized by World Archery Council, but I'm pretty sure that's the plan as it stands. And it's in Yankton. In Yankton. That's next year in Yankton. 2018. So we got uh, 17. No, we just had World Indoor this year. 18. You are correct, sir. So it's got- only a year and a half away. We got a World Cup in uh, Salt Lake City next year. Yep. Which replaces the one that's in Medellin. Yep. So we've got a lot of uh, stuff going on. You know, you're going to need that time off, I think, to re-energize, <laughs> get ready. Yeah, I just don't want to get burned out. On oh, and also maybe get your job done, too, because, yeah, you know. Uh, there's as, always work to As be anybody done. who's been like, by the way, we've got about 13 or 18 different emails here that I'm, I'm uh, you know, in that pile there. It's all, when's the next podcast? <laughs> yeah. So, so sorry, but, you know, uh, it's it's been tough. So any last thoughts about the Olympics before we move on to the next stuff? Um, yeah, I would say it was uh, it was an interesting event. I, I will say this, and, and I alluded to it maybe 10 minutes ago, and people are probably going, what's he talking about? But 
the Olympics, once you are there, is the easiest tournament to win in all of our international archery. And that's because, number one, there's only three Koreans at this one. Right. Number two, there's only 64 people at this one instead of 120-something. Yeah. You know, and I don't mean to be not, chari- not charitable or, or insensitive, but let's face it. There's 64 shooters, Yep. but there's 10 really good ones. Yeah, there, there's – exactly. There's 10 good ones who you could pick to win, and then there's probably – 20 to 24 I, I who don't mean could to take, beat anybody i don't mean to take anything away from anybody but i could take the number 18 korean and he'd be number one on the majority of the teams right yeah it's, those games it's so not a, the best shooters no it's not the best field it's the weakest but it's the field. best that each country has to offer right and the the event and the moment when you hit the top eight it's certainly very real at that point yes you know but uh, yeah, it's, it, it's like winning the World Cup final. Once you're there, it's three matches to win. And and let's consider this final ranking for the men, right? You had Kubon Chan number one, but counting backwards, Takahara Furukawa. Silver medalist from London. Um, the only man I've ever seen shoot a perfect 120 in in, in match play. Mm-hmm. Um, Lee Sang-yun, uh, what can you say? You know, Lee Sang-yun, seventh. Maro Nespoli, sixth. Taylor Worth, fifth. Chef Vandenberg, fourth. Brady Ellison, John Charles Veladon, Kuban Chan. You could take any one of those guys, guys, any one of those guys literally could be a world champion. Any one of those guys literally could be an Olympic champion. It it strictly comes down to what happened in in this uh, circumstance with each one of these. Every one of those guys is a champion. Every one of those guys deserves to be... um, given the accolades of a champion, but who's missing? Yeah. The guy that set the world record. Yeah. <laughs> the first and only guy to shoot a 700. And it's, I mean, it's just a, it's a fact of the matter. When, when Korea is bringing three instead of four, when the U.S. is bringing three instead of four, you know, across yeah. the board. Yeah. When Japan doesn't have a full team. Yeah. When. Yeah. Japan's men's team not qualifying. That was a big surprise. Yeah. India for them. didn't have a full team. India didn't. And you, you look at that and you just go, wow, you know, a lot of teams didn't, a lot of countries, powerhouse countries did not necessarily bring out the, uh, or, or get to the level that you'd expect them to get to for yep. these games. So, so yeah, it's a, once you are there, yeah. which is the hard part, it's the easiest event to win. Okay. I'm going to open up this, uh, I'm going to open up this uh, Facebook thing here because we've been letting it percolate for a little while. Oh yeah. And uh, let's see what we got. Sorry, while I, while I screw around with the, uh, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, we, we did get a few more. Why was Doug Denton in Rio? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, because uh, Doug is a recurve engineer, and he was there to help with the equipment repair booth. There's your answer. That is correct. And by the way, Doug uh, worked on just as many uh, brand W and uh, brand K bows as he worked on brand H. Yeah, in fact, we yeah more actually, and and if anyone's wondering, I mean, Win and Win sent equipment for a repair booth. Hoyt sent equipment. You know, it, yeah, it that's was, it at, was a at that point nobody gives a darn working in that booth what brand you're shooting, right? And and uh, people would come to Doug and go, well, it's a Win and Win. Can you help me? And he's like, of course, you know, it's it's we're at the Olympics. 
you know, he's not going to be partial to exactly. And Doug wouldn't care anywhere in the world. He'll no. help you. Of all people, yeah, he's the last yeah. one that would be partisan about what you're shooting. Um, so here's yeah. a question we got on the Facebook. Mm -hmm. Instead of allowing compound to the Olympics, how about doubling the number of recurve archers to allow more teams to compete? Lots of good teams not there. Yeah, okay, we just so talked about that. Let's, let's do talk about that a little bit. Um, looking ahead, okay, Rio is over. And Paralympics still ahead, but um, Rio's Olympic Games is over. Next up on the calendar, Tokyo 2020. Mm -hmm. There is going to be an effort made, and I hope it comes into fruition, an effort made to have mixed team at the next games. Yeah, so I was wondering how that would play out with qualification and team rounds. You know, who? How do you make sure there's, what, eight teams? 12 teams, I'm not sure how they're going to do it. Yeah, it depends on whether there's buys or not, right? Bottom line is, let's say there's eight. Let's just say, hypothetically, there's eight, okay? That would probably be made up of the teams, maybe, you could argue, that weren't able to qualify a team round, which would keep Korea out of it. That would be weird, so I don't see them doing that. Yeah, I don't see them doing that. I don't see them doing that. I do see them, however, um, figuring out a way to make it more accessible for teams that are uh, not full qualified, full qualified countries, right? I guess what they could do is, is take the current qualification system and at the end of it say, okay, we've got 12 teams. This is good. Cause you know, you would have yeah. added us would have had a mixed team. Oh yeah. Uh, Japan would have had a mixed team. Yep. So now you're, you're getting closer. And, to and by the way, a whole bunch of other countries, India, I yeah. mean, you know, a whole bunch of countries would have yep. had a mixed team. So, yeah, it would have been, at that point, you have enough to maybe make 16 teams. Uh -huh. I don't know. Uh, it, let's it, it let's say change. hypothetically 16 yeah. teams. Okay. We've just added a day to the games, by the way, doing that. Yeah. So that's, that's problem A, adding a day to the games. I think that's solvable. I think it's a solvable problem. How's that? Well, just add a day to the games. Lobby for it okay. on the yeah. IOC part. Because there's enough good stuff about the mixed team that you can, you can point to that and go, you know what, this is worth doing. Because you have universality. You have every continent able to supply a mixed team. Mm -hmm. You have gender equality, which, by the way, the 2020 games will be the first games that have gender equality, meaning just as many females as males at the event. Right. And it is easy to follow. It's a fast event. It's uh, not difficult to show on TV. No. You know? And, and to add to uh, – I'm doubling back a little bit here. You said if they – Add a day, okay, yeah. If they say no, you can't add a day. Well, that's easy. Just shoot the first round all at the same time. Yep. Then you can slot. Yep. Mixed team in. Yep. So even if they can't get the schedule, which I think they can. Yeah. There's going to be a way to get this done. So let's presume for now, uh, recognizing that there's a ton of work to be done. Let's presume for now that we have a mixed team event at the next games in Tokyo which will be on the uh, Island of Dreams in Tokyo Bay. Going to be windy. Going to be windy. Very nice. Just so we know. <laughs> just, just up front. I've done seminars there. I've shot there. And I can tell you it's windy. <laughs> so It's next to Hanita Airport. Anytime you're next to an airport, you know you're going to get some wind. Yeah. All right. Well, you'll know which direction it's going. Just watch where the planes are landing. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it tends to be all the same. So, <laughs> All right. Where, where were we? Uh, oh, yeah, questions coming in on Facebook here. Uh, did you see any others? That were uh, yeah, one from Shannon Turner. How does the Korean program work? How young do they start? What is their training regimen? Uh, from my understanding is they kind of 
They pick do, them in elementary school. Yeah, and they do some biomechanic type stuff and say, you're built to be an archer. Yeah, and kids don't get to actually pick up a bow for a while either. Uh, like, you know, we're talking months here. Their system will not work here, okay? I mean, I'm just saying. You can't take American kids and, and have them work the way the... Uh, There's not enough Ritalin in the country. Oh, my word. <laughs> no. So how does the Korean program work? Uh, very well. And, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, seriously, uh, you can't argue it, but you know what? What you don't see? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids that don't make it because they don't have a way to deal with target panic and they don't have a way to deal with people whose biomechanics don't fit, you know? Right. They don't Um, get to participate. Yeah. They don't get to play past a certain point. And so they end up doing other stuff maybe, you know, or, or never being an athlete at all. But we have a, um, you know, we don't have that approach here, right? If you go over to the Eastern Archery Center, you see beginners, they get a bow in their hand right from the start. Mm -hmm. Because it's pretty darn boring to be told, make this motion with no bow in your hand for (laughs) six months. (laughs) You know? What's the best center serving diameter for knock fit on an Easton 3D Super Knock? Robert Rankin is asking. Um, 114. ATA standard. Yeah, I go 110 to 112. Yeah. So. That's what I look for. All right. Are there any new arrows or different spine and weight combinations coming out? Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's from Chad Simpson. Chad's one of my guys. Okay. So uh, actually, I, I'll I'll just go ahead and say it. We're we're doing the three forty. Yeah. We're doing the three forty Pro Tour. Yeah, I have some. I will possibly be shooting in, um, Dublin. Yep. Ireland. Yep. Not Dublin, Ohio, where I go this weekend. Right. But. No, but we are doing the 340 this year. Uh, this this fall, let's call that available in January, right? Yeah. We're actually It'll building be available it right for now. outdoor season 2017. Exactly. So, yes, we are doing some new stuff. And, yes, we're doing some other stuff besides that. And, yes, you're going to like it. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, let's see what else. This is nice. This is kind of, kind of almost like live. Um yeah, okay, so the rest of these are a little more technical. We'll just leave them for now. We do have, uh, of course, lots of questions that came into our podcast uh, uh, address, which is? Podcast at EastonTP.com. So we've got a bunch of those. Uh, Should we hit those next week? We're already pushing an hour and a half. Yeah, here's what we're going to do. We're going to answer three of these, and then we'll uh, we'll move on and get ready for next week. Let's see here. Uh, okay, here's one. I like this one. This one's about you. Uh-oh. Hi, guys. Just wanted you to both know I love the podcast. Please keep it going. This one comes from Alex. Um, and Alex says, thank you, Alex, by the way. Um, I've seen pictures of Steve sporting a black Easton hat. And I've been looking on the Easton website and at Lancaster <laughs> Archery and can't seem to find them. So my question is, where can I get one? I'm not looking for a freebie. More than willing to pay up for one. Just don't know where to get one. Isaac's working on this, is he not? Yeah, that'll be in our, our next apparel lineup, which... We I don't know if we have a drop dead release date on that. I think it's going to be as we have it available. Uh-huh. It goes online. Yeah, and by the way, this is kind of interesting. And maybe I, you know, I'm 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 I'm, I'm telling inside stuff here. We are kind of moving toward what a lot of companies call a living line. Yes, where we bring stuff out like what we just talked about with the Pro Tour when it's ready, not necessarily in a model year. Yep. So. Stay tuned because that's kind of exciting. That means that we are going to have some stuff at uh, ATA show, for example. 
that yeah. uh, that might not be announced in October, but will be announced in Correct. January. Yeah. So if you're looking for something in our whatever, you know, you might not see it. Yeah, but we're working on it, yes. and we'll bring it out when it's ready, as opposed to. Oh, it'll be next year because it's not ready for this October. We'll we'll have some stuff, you know. All right, next. Trevor is asking, uh, in one of your episodes, someone was talking about mental training and note cards. We keep reading them with goals on them. I think there are a lot of archers out there who have the skill to shoot great scores and do shoot great scores, but I think what separates the men from the boys is the mental side of things. If you can mentally execute phenomenal shots and your brain knows how. I think those people excel. Skill can only take you so far. The right attitude and mental game can help you recover from a bad shot and keep your practice and tournament scores consistent to each other. Can you elaborate on the note card system and any other mental exercises? And this is Trevor from Pulyup, Washington. Pewallop. I had a teammate from there. I knew you were going to tell me the right way to say that. Say that again? Pewallop. Pewallop. Yeah. And it's spelled Puyallap. Yeah, well, (laughs) it's like Thule, right? Yeah. Thule here in Utah. Tuila. Anyway, um, any thoughts on that? First uh, off, yes. good synopsis. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's he says what separates the men from the boys is a good mental game. Yes, yes, to a point. Um, what I think really separates the men from the boys is just how much horsepower you have under the hood. There, there's two ways that you separate the men from the boys. One is mentally when the shots are, you know, you're talking something like indoor archery where – you just have to make good shots. There's nothing affecting you. And then the other in outdoor archery where, you know, we're further away, target size is effectively smaller. And when the wind stops and it gets dead calm, then you separate the men from the boys. Because all of a sudden. Yes. Then it's who has the fastest boat, you know, like in, uh, at our outdoor nationals, um, you know, Braden shoots a seven eighteen. There was guys who shot, 705 705 who were eighth place you know it was pretty crazy so um indoors yes it's all about the mental game outdoors i think that's i think the the pressure is a little less outdoors i don't think uh, i've ever been as nervous in an outdoor competition as i was say somewhere like vegas but you know, eventually you quit caring about that and, and you just start shooting. And then when you get to that point, that's when you get competitive. And then when you're competitive, then you've got to do it when there's nothing else to do but throw down a good score. Okay. Last question comes from Ian, who um, is complaining about the fact that we haven't done a podcast in a while. <clears throat> I woke up this morning in a cold sweat. I was shaking and had a terrible headache. Because I, we hadn't done the podcast? I realized that these were symptoms of a cold turkey withdrawal, but <laughs> from what? It took me a little time, then I figured it's been a month since your last podcast. I've started to re-listen to some of the old ones to stop the shakes, but I fear I'm going to need regular new episodes to keep them away. Well, we'll try to do better. Sorry. Uh, but uh, he wants a serious question here, and that is, what's your opinion on the debate or nature, the debate on nature or nurture, when it comes to making a great archer rather than a good one? I think it's personality-based. Yeah. I think when it comes to um, getting tough on the shooters, Korea. I mean, that is not an easy program. No. That's a tough, tough program. And it's different between the men and the women. It's different between the men and the women, yes, because I think, quite frankly, the Korean women are more coachable. Yeah, I would say between the two teams, the Korean women team was much more disciplined. 
Um, and yes, probably coachable. Whereas the Korean men's team, especially this three, these three guys, this group of guys, they are very uh, relaxed. They have a lot more personality than I've seen out of some of the other Korean teams. So it, it's different between the two. Now, in the case of this particular question, though, I think it also depends on, you know, what kind of people you're talking about. Let's just bring it here to America. The average American is not going to put up with a coach yelling at them and, and telling them they've got to do something a certain way and, <laughs> and, and instilling discipline on them. They're, it's just not going to work well. Right. We want to do things our own way. And, and, you know, try telling the average American that you have to go out there and shoot 300 arrows a day or you're off this program. They'll, they'll tell you to take a flyer. You've got to have that come from within. You got to have that desire to go out there and shoot mm-hmm. from within. So, you know, it depends on the personalities involved, and it depends on the culture. Yeah, it's interesting. You, archery compared to like when I played college basketball, we got yelled at constantly. You know, you're verbally abused, you're mentally abused. But you were well motivated to try to make that team. Yeah, they're they're doing it from. At times, it seems as though they're trying to you know, motivate with fear. And at times it seems as though they're trying to create some other type of external motivation. But, um, you know, when, when you get into a sport like archery, which is much more leisure, um, and a lot less intense, um, you're just not going to get the personality types who are okay with someone yelling at them, yelling and screaming. You know, if you, you go watch any good point, it's an individual sport. Yeah. You watch any American football coach or, uh, basketball coach and they yell and scream at their players but you just don't see that in a sport like archery or a sport like golf or um what's the other one i'm thinking of right now uh yeah you, you see it a little bit in tennis maybe you know some some hard coaches but um yeah it's just not a it's not a sport where it's necessary I yeah. think either you yeah. know you you're out trying to shoot a 10 you're not trying to out compete your competitor Exactly. So, 24 medalists at the Olympic Games, by the way. All 24 of them shot X10s. That's what I heard. All 24 of them, yeah, you heard. <laughs> All 24 of them shot tungsten uh, points. Yep. Um, lots of them shot spin wing veins. The spider vein and the, what is the one? The sitar vein. Yeah, they all shot a mylar vein of some type. Yes. Um, Except Kaminsky. He shot a. Shot a plastic vein. The AAE wave vein? Or, yeah. Yeah? Did. Yep. Jake? Okay. Well, you know, Jake's trying to leverage that uh, sponsorship stuff, too. So, <laughs> Yeah, he's made it work. Yes, absolutely. And then you've got uh, – does that fulfill our, our commercial role here in pointing all that out? Are we good? I would say – Oh, contour stabilizers. There's a lot of contour stabilizers second, on the field. Second favorite stabilizer on the field. Uh, in terms of individual models, it may have been the most popular. I didn't I didn't count that. I So I did an equipment count of, uh, you know, who was using what. And if I went down the line, I said, okay, win and win stabilizer, Easton stabilizer, uh, B-Stinger. There's mm-hmm. only one, just Brady. Um, you know, and I went down the line doing that. That was the only B-Stinger? Brady was the only B-Stinger. Huh. Yeah. So – uh, win and win was like 31 or something like that. I think Easton, we had 23. And then Doinker had about 15. And then it was Fuse was the fourth most popular. Equipment of the winners. Kuban Chan shot a win and win bow with win and win limbs. Biter Plunger. 
Shibuya Rest, which is uh, blown up. Shibuya Rests are really popular. Uh, Biter Clickers, uh, super popular. XL Sight for Koo. He shot X10s with Easton Pin Knocks and Spin Wings. JC Valadant, Hoyt Prodigy, Quattro Limbs, Biter Plunger, Shibuya Rest, Biter Clicker. Shot a uh, French made sight um, with uh, X10 arrows, Biter Pin Knocks, Spin Wings. And then we had Brady Ellison, shoots a Prodigy RX, Quattro Limbs. A lot of quattro limbs. A lot of Hoyt There quattros. was uh, more. So I'm looking at my numbers here. Between the men and the women, there were 63 sets of Hoyt limbs and 49 sets of win and win limbs. Uh-huh. Uh, 82 Hoyt risers, and I'm looking at uh, 35 win and win risers. Really? Yep. That's a reversal from London. There were a lot more win and wins in London, if I recall correctly. So it sounds like Hoyt's uh, become more popular. Maybe. And uh, X-10s all the way through here except for a couple shooters. Yep. There's um, one ACE shooter. Oh, yeah. Well. There was uh, that. Kenyan girl. Uh-huh. So there you go. Yeah. Sights. Uh, Shibuya was the overwhelming favorite. Of the uh, women, it seems. Yeah. total. I'm looking at total numbers here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah but total it, numbers. Shibuya for up, sure. Yeah. yeah. The uh, the a lot of women shot Shibuya sights and a lot of men shot the um, the XL sights. Yeah, it was thirty six men shot XL, nineteen men shot Shibuya. Uh, on the women's side, uh, forty eight Shibuya, eight XL. Uh huh. There was almost as many win and win sights as there were XL sights on the women's side. I think they're getting full outfits for win and win, which is why yeah, there's a lot of the win and win stabilizers there too. Yep, you see a lot of win and win rests and plungers on those bows as well. Yeah, so. You know, equipment-wise, um, I'd say moving up in the world is the Eastern Contours. Um, and then all the Russians were shooting Eastern Contours. They they bought those a while back. So they've been shooting those for a while. Uh, knock styles. Men prefer the pin knock. 36 pin knocks, 19 yeah. out knocks. Yeah. Three pin overs and six in outs. And then the women like the biter, uh, the, old, the old school biter out knock. Yeah, 30 of those versus 26 pin knocks. I think it's because the Korean women like that knock and yeah, a lot of the other follow. women are following. Mm-hmm. So. The Korean women have them in their own colors too. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. Andreas is a smart guy. And, you know, that goes back to Werner. Back in the day, Werner would do custom colors for specific shooters. Um, so it's nice to see that legacy of... Uh, of my good friend Warner Biter still carrying on. So that's pretty cool. In the case of uh, veins, um, excess wings from Chef, lots of spin wings, and Brady with his own spider vein. Lots of, yeah. Lots of spin wings. Lots of spin wings. And and not much else. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. mostly mostly Mylar. I think just the But that AAE Max was uh, Jake Kaminsky. Um Everything else was Mylar, I believe. Yeah, Jake finished 25th overall, I think, if, if I'm not mistaken here. Yeah, score-wise, right? Mm-hmm. And um, everything else was some kind of Mylar vein. A uh, lot less of the Ellie veins than we saw at the London games. Yep, I think uh, between kind the, of fell off the XS and maybe Spider. And a lot, of people, a lot of people that were shooting other stuff went back to spin wings. I noticed that. So that's kind of interesting. One or two curly veins in there, which is basically a spin wing imitator. But the gas pro vein, uh, you know, is also in there a little bit. 
Yeah, it came out like uh, three weeks before the games or something like that. No, the Gas Pro was it was around back in London too. Well, yes, but the model. Oh, that, another model of Gas yeah, Pro. The model gotcha, gotcha. Rick gotcha. shot is uh, it's his signature vein, Rick Van okay. Van. Well, there you go. Yeah, Rick deserves a signature vein. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, that uh, that sums it up for the for the sales side of the thing here. There you go. All yep. right. Okay, so uh, I think this is a good time to to wrap it up. Any last thoughts before we uh, call it a day? I have no thoughts. No thoughts. <laughs> You're headed to the airport in right now. Right now. So, I would like to thank our uh, our loyal listeners and subscribers. If you have a um, question for the podcast, which we will start again regularly, probably next week. Yep. The email podcast address at eastontp.com. Podcast at eastontp.com. Facebook questions cheerfully accepted at Easton Archery Target. And we'll, we'll work on changing that name. I'd like that. Would you mind? I can make it happen. Okay. All right. Please do. And then, um, because that'll be the last thing that just sticks in my craw <laughs> from the past and then um there's one more thing and that is um the one more thing what's one more thing drawing a blank i hate it when that happens oh yeah itunes leave us a review because oh, yeah, it makes yeah. other makes it much easier for other people to find the podcast yep so um questions comments rude remarks always happy to have all of the above <laughs> and um we will look forward to seeing you folks again next week yeah, so for we'll, we'll be uh, we'll, maybe we'll be back on track now. We have no set schedule, but true. But we will we will be back on track now. Yeah. Sorry for the delays and the uh, we just had too much going on. I'm sorry. Yeah, and it's just we'll we'll call it season two now. All right. <laughs> so for myself, George Tekbachev, and Steve the Big Cat Anderson, that's a wrap. End of show. End of show. <laughs>